Uh, well, folks, this is a little unusual. Uh, on Sunday after I had uh, preached the message, I was told that the uh, machine didn't uh, record. And so um, those machines do it all the time. And so th- those kinds of things happen. And then, of course, I was asked, could they get a copy of this message? Could they hear it because somebody wanted to tell somebody about it? Anyway, all of that to say, I'm going to re-preach it, but I'm re-preaching it in uh, a very inglorious way. I'm sitting at my desk in my office, and I wanted you to hear that. But this is the message of my precious uh, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. And so, uh, if you were there on Sunday, you've heard it. If you weren't, then hopefully this will help you catch up to where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. I find that to be the most um, exquisite preaching, obviously, because it's from the Lord Jesus Christ. But in every single turn, he's getting to the heart of the matter, and it's our heart and where we are with the Lord. But to get into the message... Most of you remember the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, he wrote The Lord of the Rings. This is the quest for that special ring that Bilbo Baggins finds, and, and they, uh, they find it this possession that was once in Gollum's hand, and, and they all become so very super anxious, craving for that ring. Uh, they even call it My Precious. This precious ring was the treasury treasure of... Uh, those folks, and they wanted to possess it. But even once they had it, they did not find satisfaction. That's much like the world is today. There are certain things that begin to entice us and, and offer us life pleasures, but we are never satisfied. Whether it's riches, whether it's fame, we never find that satisfaction. You can run after it. You can hunger for it. You can do all kinds of things to try to achieve it. But even once you get it, it's never enough. It doesn't satisfy. So why do I mention this in the context of our passage today? Because that is what Jesus is teaching us today. We consistently see that the human psyche is, has its heart set on the wrong kinds of treasures, the wrong kinds of things. Uh, This past week, I was looking and, I'm sorry, listening to Vladimir Putin. And I'm I'm thinking about this man and the words that he's saying, the translation that he's ranting about Ukraine. And he sounded like Gollum to me, that he's calling Ukraine his precious. And he needs to have it. It's, It's his. The question, and this is the question for all of us, even as we begin, where? is your treasure. What in your life do you count as the most important thing? What do you daydream about? What do you fantasize over? What occupies your thinking and your daydreaming time? I think that, that's, a, that's a good way to put it, is, is what I'm fantasizing about. Where do you find your security even? Where do you look for happiness? Where do you look for joy in life? Answering these basic questions reveals what you really want and desire. This example from Tolkien cannot top what we already have in Scripture. The Scripture obviously is, is going to always ring true, 
And uh, so, we go to the scriptures and, and we find examples there that uh, those things that, and those folks who have chosen the things of this world over the riches of God are always disappointed. We have this man called Achan from back in the book of Joshua, chapter 7, and he wanted the things that were forbidden. He actually took the things that God told him not to, put them in his tent, and the consequence was that uh, they, the, the Jewish nation lost their battle at Ai, and he then suffered death as well. Then you move on to the New Testament just to give one other example and to show you it's both in the Old and the New Testament. We have these two folks, the, the beginning of the church is happening and everybody's excited and, and these two folks, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, make a pledge and they say you're going to give so much and, and they told what the pledge was and, and they held it back. They didn't give all the money from their property. The early church leaders knew it because the Holy Spirit was telling them, and there was a consequence. It was an immediate death of each of them. It's separate occasions. I can't imagine being in that church. Therefore, how you answer the question as to what is the most precious to you will inform you where your true treasure lies. Jesus is now making it clear as to where the true treasure is located. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 19 is where we're going to look. So open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says there, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. Also, here we discover two ways to handle the opportunity that God has given to us. And, and it's almost that way in almost everything that we have in this life. God gives us two ways, his way or our way. And uh, we need to be going uh, the way that he wants us to go. If I, I put it this way, what road will you travel? And that's always the question is to ask what road will you travel? So the first road is to place your treasure on earth. That's in verse 19. We see that in verse 19. But the second is to place your treasure in heaven. And that's verses 20 and 21. Um, I can remember as a kid that we used to go on treasure hunts on occasion. Uh, There was always some prize that was buried or hidden for the kids to find. Those prizes did not last long, especially... Uh, if they were of the edible kind, they were pretty much devoured immediately. But sometimes there were prizes like baseballs, baseball mitts, and bats, and all of those kinds of things. But they also had a limited time on this earth. Now that we are older, the treasures are more sophisticated. But they do not last long either. The treasures of this world, no matter how precious, do not last forever. The little translation that we have here says this, treasure not up for yourselves treasures. And notice it's for yourself. Again, folks, it's not about us, but it's about the Lord and his kingdom. That's what the treasures need to be said, is for the Lord and his kingdom. The word treasures has in the Greek root of that word the idea of a thesaurus. It's like the thesaurus of words that we find it's, uh, you can put it this way, a treasure of or a storehouse of words. 
Why then does Jesus tell us not to store up treasures on earth? Because Jesus knows those treasures have a short shelf life. Looked up um, about lottery winners, you know, seeing that they win a million dollars or $500 million. And I, I just thought, I'd, yeah, check the internet out and see what what happened with that money. Do you know 70% of the people who win that kind of money, a million to $500 million, spend it in five, within five years? Can you imagine all that money and they get stuff? Stuff that's going to fall apart, stuff that's going to get stolen, stuff that's going to be used up. Maybe some of them give money to charity. I don't know. But within five years, 70% of them have spent it all. Doesn't sound like the treasure should be here on earth. They should be in heaven. This is what happens to those treasures when we store them up on on, on earth. The, the scripture tells us where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, when I was a kid, my mom liked to try to uh, keep our clothes as long as we possibly could because we didn't uh, weren't able to go out and buy more and more and more. So, my mother got lots of moth balls, and uh, they put were in all of the closets and sometimes even in the drawers of where our clothes were, and and it, they stunk. I got to tell you. The mothball smell is not the greatest of smells. It stunk, but it did preserve the clothing for a little while. Those clothes still fell apart. Those clothes still disintegrated. But you see, even if the clothes are good enough to last, then they would be coveted by others. Even if the things that we have are, are, are able to last, they are coveted by others and then stolen. And they then are not satisfied. We live, folks, in an environment, an environment of destruction. Uh, This world is falling apart, is uh, devolving, not evolving. And it's devolving and it's destructive because of many different reasons. We have heat, we have cold, we have wind, we have rain. We are punished by those things in a sense. And, and if you ever live back east, you then have, uh, or up north, you have snow and sleet and ice. And uh, you have those things that uh, try to keep the ice off the road and all of a sudden they start to do damage to your cars anyway. Whatever kind of car you want, that beautiful car that you've been dreaming about for years, that you've been saving up for even, even there you're going to have them falling apart. They're going to rust. And so you put some mileage on that car and right away it starts to disintegrate. I think it's said that if you buy a car, a brand new car, it already loses five to $10,000 immediately as soon as you drive it off the parking, off the lot. Corrosion and tarnish and wear continue to work on those things that we treasure from this earth. As a matter of fact, I did study and I heard that a termite colony eats about one pound of wood per day. Uh, how is your house holding up? And I'm not, the, this, this is really the termite colonies from Africa, but the ones that are here still do a significant amount of damage. Moth and rust are biological chemical agents that produce damage and 
corrosion over the days, weeks, months, and years. Those items have an inherent makeup of protection, actually, uh, against uh, the, the subject of thieves, breaking in, stealing, those kinds of things for their own pleasure. The word translated rust means in eating away. That's what happens. There's an eating away. Um, listen to the description from James chapter 5. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to James 5, where James gives us a, a picture here, Hebrews James. And uh, James 5, it says now in verse 1, Come now, come now, you rich, and weep and howl for your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have rusted, and your rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. The rich in this context are, are those who have more than they really need. They're, they're being rebuked by James, not because of their wealth, not because they're wealthy people. It's, it's okay to be wealthy, but it's because they're not using their wealth for godly endeavors. They're not using their wealth for the right kind of things. They leave, live as, as if the Lord is not coming back, or they do not have to answer to him. And for some of us, that's the way we live. We live as if we did not have to answer to God. And here is, a, is the good part. There are times when moth and rust do not destroy, but thieves break in. That happens so often that something that's precious to you, somebody notices and somebody wants. Or they don't even notice it. They just break into your house. Over the years that we've lived in California, we've been broken into twice. And, and there's not a whole lot for them to get once they get in there, but they still take some uh, cherished things. We have seen over the last two years where thieves and and have broken into stores and taken brand new goods off the shelves. And, and the, the rampage has almost gone unhindered, stealing clothes and jewelry and computers. Folks, it's been two years uh, that they've done that. I would say in the next two or three years, those things are going to become worthless. Friends, Jesus uses a word here. Very interesting in this Sermon on the Mount. He says, break in, which literally means to dig through the walls of homes in the Palestinian area. In ancient Palestine, there were sort of mud and dirt that were sort of formed together. But he says they break in, they dig through the walls of the homes to get into the house. Those sun-dried brick walls made it easy to dig through and enter in to take away a person's valuables, their earthly treasure, the earthly treasure that they couldn't take with them. Moth and rust and thievery represent the elements of life, the, the processes of life that cause earthly treasures to diminish in worth. Jesus has made it clear, nothing is sacred. Everything is up for grabs on this earth. Years ago, I'm over 45 for sure, I uh, was um, attracted to this fine, young, beautiful Italian girl. And I, 
And I asked her to marry me, and so I had to go get a ring. I mean, that's what you do in those days, and I think I still do it. And so I went and, and, and went to the jewelry shop, and I couldn't afford it because I'm just out of college. I'm actually in getting my MBA uh, at, at uh, Iona College, and, and, I, and so I go in and I get a loan. Uh, I don't even remember how much it was, 900 950 whatever it was, to buy this ring for this young lady. I give it to her at Christmas time. We got engaged on Christmas Day. And um, then in January, I get a call from her, and her apartment had been robbed. She had taken her ring off to go down and take the snow off the car. And while she had taken her ring off to put there in her apartment with her mom, um, somebody came in the apartment and stole the ring. And those things don't last. And, and yes, at the time, it was annoying. I was not even a believer then. And I had to continue to pay for something that I wasn't ever going to get, or she wasn't ever going to get. Um, but you see, even the clothes in, in your closet, the moths are after. They, they taste those treasures and they want them. So whether they be a moth that seals a ring or the moth that steals your clothes, it still happens. Even if you had invested your, all your money and, you, and you've taken your money and you, you put it with somebody that you would think could be trusted, uh, the chairman of the NASDAQ stock exchange started his own business. You would think he could be trusted. He, he, he's been in the money business for a while. That's uh, Bernie Madoff. And uh, <laughs> Madoff made off with lots of money. He led a Ponzi scheme that netted somewhere in the vicinity of $65 billion. The tune of 37,000 different people got caught up in trying to make more money. They, they thought they could make it and make it fast, so they invested and they invested and they invested. The question is where is your precious treasure. Years ago, there was a man who actually sat in my office and said to me, Bill, uh, I have this opportunity, $25,000 minimum, uh, $25,000. You, you come in with me, and in six months, I can get you $50,000. It sounds good, doesn't it, folks? Six months? And I didn't even have to sweat for that that I would have double what I had given him? And, of course, I said to him, I said, you know, I am just not that kind of guy. I don't like to take chances. Um, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm remembering I was born at night, but not last night. And I, and I said to him, so how are you going to afford it? Because I knew the man, and I knew he didn't have a lot, lived in an apartment. And he says, well, I'm going to take 25000 out of my credit card. I went, that is not a very wise thing to do. You're crediting something that you don't even have. Six months later, I asked him, how is he doing? He said, nothing happened yet. Eight months later, nothing happened. Ten months later, still nothing happened. And I think at that point, he got the clue. He was not going to get his money back. Folks, there are no quick schemes to get money. And frankly, what do we need it for? We've already been given everything we need by God. Well, that's what this man saw. You know, Solomon, even the richest men, man, he's a, whoever, you know, was in our scriptures that we can see, that I can tell he was the richest man. 
He wrote in the book of Proverbs, listen to this, in Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, he writes, the, writes these very um, important words. He says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth makes it, it certainly makes itself like wings of an eagle and flies towards the heavens. You know, in, in reading this and reminding myself of even my past, I think some of you know, my functional God before I was saved was money, was wealth. Um, as a matter of fact, on the, on the week that I got saved, I was heading to Montreal, Canada to sign a $500,000 deal I was going to make commission off of, and, and that's all I was looking forward to, was making some money. Uh, and that's what I continued to do. I worked hard, and, and that's what it was for, was to make money. Keep putting more money in the bank. Keep spending more money is what actually happened, not putting more money in the bank. But in Montreal, I got saved. Matter of fact, that week was a bust. Instead of 500000 we signed a $50,000 deal, which is uh, not even worth a plane ticket. So, so think about it, folks. You, we weary ourselves over those things. We, we get tired over the, the harshness of which we even put ourselves through work. I, I remember as a kid, my dad working two and three jobs. Yes, he had some issues, issues of um, uh, lots of kids and little money. And uh, that was the way he tried to make up for it. But his, his family was forsaken for sure. Listen to this out of Ecclesiastes. Actually, why don't you turn there to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 10. And actually, this whole chapter is about the the attitude that we need to have toward God, the futility of um, trying to make lots of money. But I think this is very important to hear. And it starts in verse 10 in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance will be with its income. This too is vanity. And again, this just reminds me of of the gyrations I used to go through in trying to make money. And and then when I I came on staff at Grace Church, I got more than um, that I should. I got to serve the Lord. That's where the riches were. Not in the money, not in the dollar value. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? In other words, if you make lots of money, there's lots of people around you willing to consume that for you. Verse 12, the sleep of the working man is pleasant. Whatever he eats, little is or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. In other words, you make a lot of money, you're going to keep consuming and you're not going to be um, satisfied. And, and I can remember this, not with food, was the, the nights that I would go to sleep, trying to go to sleep, and then remembering a deal, and I get up in the middle of the night to start writing things down. I got to do this tomorrow. I got to call this person tomorrow. I got to take care of this. And it was always consuming, and, and I never found rest. That's what happens when that goal is the treasures of this world. 
Verse 13, there is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return. Uh, as he came, he will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he had carried in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what advantage is it to him to toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Man is given to the anxieties of this world, the fears of this world, the accumulation of wealth. But even when you get it, it doesn't serve you in any way of giving you peace. It just gives you the desire to know more. Uh, I have this little funny thing that I heard a few weeks ago. Heard this man who was dying, or thinking he was dying, and he gathered his friends. It was a doctor and a lawyer and a priest, and he gave them all $30,000 in an envelope and said, when I die, I want you to throw this in my casket I want you to put it in my grave so that I can take it with me. And now you, I, we all know what that means. It means nothing. But anyway, the, the doctor, um, when the man died, threw the envelope into the casket, put it in the casket, and uh, he only had $20,000. And he said, well, I needed $10,000 to help with this children's clinic over here. Uh, I think it was important to help the children who are still alive and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then the priest took his envelope, threw it in, and he took $20,000 out. And he said, oh, we wanted to start an orphanage. And so uh, we took, I took it out for that, and he only put 10000 in. And the lawyer said, oh, my, you men are terrible. How could you do that? The, the the our friend here has been uh, defamed and all of that kind of stuff. He's not going to have any money in the future. He said, "I gave him a a, a check for thirty thousand dollars, personal check for thirty thousand dollars." It's kind of funny, but you can see if it's in the grave, if it's in the coffin. All it's going to happen is the snails get it, or the bugs get it, or it's going to go away. Let's go back to Matthew. We've been over there in Ecclesiastes a little bit and Proverbs and such. But back in Ecclesiastes, I mean, back in Matthew for the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus is so wonderful in his, in his teaching here. Back in um, Matthew 6, 2, he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound your trumpet. See, it's okay to give to others if you have excess, if you have much. But when you start to rattle the, your 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 saber or you rattle your the, the the giving instrument so that people can see it, um, that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong way to do it. Uh, if you're just looking for the accolades of those around you, the the recognition of those around you when you're giving to the poor, you've received your reward. It's over. There is nothing else. You got a slap on the back, and nothing is sent forward to the Lord. They received it, and it's not worth anything else. Our hearts are drawn to or excited about the things that we value most. And some of those folks just want to be recognized. They, they want to have others um, see them and 
and, and be able to lift them up. You see, if you place a priority on objects, indeed, that is where your heart is. If you place a priority on God's kingdom, there will be where your heart is. The bottom line, this is the bottom line, folks. The, the pursuit of, the accumulation of wealth develops into a dependency on those things rather than on Christ. That's where our dependence needs to be is on Christ. Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. Again, I say to you, Jesus speaking, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you have all this stuff, why would you need God? And so he's just saying it is more difficult. But it doesn't say that it's impossible. It's just more difficult to go into the kingdom of heaven. But you know what? Even that rich man has dependence on God. Even that rich man needs God and needs him for all kinds of things. Luke chapter 12, a little bit longer passage, so why don't you turn there? We're going to take a look at that. And Jesus is here telling a a parable. He says, and he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? I have too much. I got to do something with it. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But, and this is important, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now you will uh, own what you have prepared. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. We need to keep that perspective at all times, being rich toward God. In other words, putting our our treasure forward, if we could put it in those terms. I think that's very important for us to understand. It's a vanity to just make treasures. You know, I was thinking about putting all of those goods in a barn. I went and visited a friend of mine who had a place up in Montana. He had moved up there, oh, this many years, back in the 80s, I think it was. And uh, so we went and visited him. He had a barn and he had cattle and all of those kinds of things. We used to go in his barn to kill the rodents that were in there. They were eating his goods. And he knew it. He he had those those goods in there to feed the cattle during the winter when it was um, uh, too snowy up there to have uh, the cattle eating the grass. And so you have those kinds of things. They're going to come in. They're going to try to take them away from you. It's a vanity. But listen to this out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Back in Ecclesiastes, you can't get away from it. I I love that book when I was preaching through it, and I still love it. But Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 20 through 26. Therefore, I, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. This is Solomon at the end of his life saying these kinds of things. And if you remember, he he had so many beautiful things for the temple. He built the temple and and all of this other stuff. And he says, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. 
Verse 21, when there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. I certainly understand that. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Remember that. This book of Ecclesiastes has often been said it's a, it's a book of vanity. Vanity of vanities. I don't think so. I think it's a warning for sure. But I think at the end when Solomon uh, comes to the end and conclusion of things, yeah, everything's vanity. Except remember, have a great time. Enjoy this life. But remember, I am God. And that's the, the perspective we have to have. That's the treasure that we need to hold on to. Verse 26, for to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and, and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. Folks, it is so important to keep that treasure, the right treasure, in our mind and in our heart, and that we are trying to put it forward, so to speak, for God's business, whatever he wants to do with it. You know, I, I think of the, of the Ukraine. Ukraine happens to be the most populated uh, evangelical church in all of Europe. Um, now, since the war, it, it's going to be a whole lot different. And 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 I, I, I pray for my friends that are there, and I pray for the church. They're in trouble. No, they're not. In a sense, God is even doing this for his namesake. What's going to come out of it, I don't know, but I, I do want to encourage you to pray for them. Now, here's a key thought. You know, we're going through this about you know, gaining this treasure and that treasure and this money or that money, and, and we need to keep this perspective, folks. We truly, truly do. The key thought that we need to keep in mind here, this teaching is to not set your treasures on earth, does not mean, okay, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that you do not have to work. It does not mean that you go on Social Security income. It doesn't mean that you sit back and, and, and you do nothing. It doesn't mean that you don't provide for your family. Those, those are things that you must still be doing and providing for your family. Work hard. Provide for them. Provide for even their future, but let, let me take you to the to the New Testament in Second Thessalonians. Uh, this too, folks, is important to remember in Second Thessalonians chapter three, and and Paul says this to the church there. This is a sort of a uh, saying goodbye to the Thessalonica church. He says, "Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us." What's an unruly life? Unruly life is one who doesn't work. 
Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act as an un, in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we, we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did do not have the, the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Wow. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do is follow his example. Paul worked. He, he kept making tents. He kept doing this. He kept doing that. And they kept preaching and all of those kinds of things. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. You want to be in my house, well, not if we invite you over, but if you're going to live in my house, then you need to be willing to work. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. And and Paul looked down at that. Does God look down at that as well? Our importance, folks, and, and please understand this. I think it's important to do that. It's important to understand this. Uh, our importance as a human being is not derived from what we have or what we've accumulated. That That's not how the church is seen. Our importance is in the relationship we have with the king and his kingdom. That's where our importance is is found. The second thing that I want to get out of this before we we go too far, know this, for sure Jesus is not condemning wealth. In no way is Jesus condemning wealth. He is not prohibiting personal property at all. He is not saying that you don't uh, save for your death and your burial. You should have something put away for that. Jesus is not saying don't have an insurance policy. Don't have a bank account or don't have any financial planning. As a matter of fact, I think that is absolutely essential so that you don't burden others with your issue. You should have all of those things. Have all those things, but they are not the end of everything. They, they are not the, the um, um, treasure that you're trying to go after. That, that's not the target we're trying to hit. You see this, condemnation comes from those who are greedy for wealth and those who have the love of money and luxury. We see that in 1 Timothy. If that's what you're here for, if you're here for greed and for wealth and for money and for luxury, that's condemned. Jesus is saying the focus cannot be on the material, but on the immaterial. The love of this world is what is to be discarded while the anticipation of his kingdom must be cherished. Please get that in mind. The anticipation of his kingdom must be cherished. And I got to tell you, I, every day, cherish the idea that Jesus Christ is returning soon. Maranatha. Now, some other things to remember about wealth and money and, and things like that. If you have it, that's praise God. I'm glad you have it. First of all, we need to understand, number one, it comes from him. God is the one who gave it to you. You say, oh, no, no, my father left it to me. No, 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 no. How did your father get it? 
Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth. Whoever made the wealth, God gave them the power to make the wealth. Not only the power, but the thought processes and the, and the thinking and all of this kind of stuff. Something else to remember about wealth. And uh, Yahweh says it in Haggai 2.8. He says, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts. And you see, he then is giving it to certain individuals in this world, in our church, and he's saying, you be a steward of this for a while. You take care of this for a while. I mean, you oversee it for a while, but use it for kingdom purposes. Something else to keep in mind is that we hold an open hand when it comes to money, uh, that uh, sometimes there's a need and that need needs to be taken care of. And and that open hand in Proverbs 11.25, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. I love that. He who waters will himself be watered. In other words, you're not going to be thirsty. God's going to take care of you. Now, moving back to Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this in Matthew 6.20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I pray that's what you're doing. And and it doesn't have to be money. It can be service. It, it can be prayer. It could be all kinds of ways. After I'm going to give you some examples later on. But please, that's what we need to be doing. This is his kingdom, and, and he's going to bring it about. He's going to bring it to fruition here. And I, I can't wait for that day. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. They can't steal it because it's heaven. The first way to handle your treasure is to accumulate things for this life. The second way to handle your treasure is to send it forward. As I said before, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The, The word store up or lay up, and I think some translations has that for yourselves, is an injunction to put your treasures in a fitting place, in the fitting place. And let's put it that those terms, the fitting place. Jesus is saying, have the correct thinking. Have the right kind of thinking, not worldly thinking, godly thinking, kingdom thinking. Beloved, whatever we have in, in the way of spiritual or physical rewards comes from his hand. He's the one who generously gives. And if we say, oh, I have this because I'm so smart, or I, I invested in, in Google before Google was Google, or I did this or I did that. No, you didn't. God is the one who gave that to you. First uh, uh, Corinthians 4 Verse 7, you don't need to turn there, probably some of you even have it memorized, but 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this, for who regards you as superior? You know, nothing that's so superior about you. What do you have you did not receive? Where did you receive it from? God Almighty. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? No, you got it from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave it to you, whatever good things that you do have, the children you have, the home you have, the, the job you have, the, the creativity you have, whatever it is, the wisdom you have, God gave it to you. The context of the Sermon on the Mount even tells us where we're going to find some of our future treasures, where we're going to get those rewards. And we can look 
uh, forward to them. In Matthew chapter 5, we studied this a few weeks ago, Matthew 5, 12, it, it says that we get uh, a reward from persecution. I'm thinking of my friends in Ukraine. Uh, I, I don't know about all of them yet. I know some of them and they're okay. I just haven't heard from all of them yet. And it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, persecution brings about reward. I I think if you were sitting in Ukraine right now, you would not think too highly of that. But that's what it does, folks. We've got to remember that Matthew 5.46 says that we are to be loving our enemies. We receive a reward for loving our enemies. And um, I think of Russia. I have friends in Russia. I- I've been to Samara a couple of times. I've taught there. Matter of fact, I've still been in communication with some of my Russian friends. And in the emails, we can't mention the word war or anything like that because that would just set off alarms. But we're talking and praying together. And and that's what we need to be doing because they're still our brothers. That hasn't changed. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. It says, giving to those who need. We mentioned that before. There is a reward for doing that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 is praying in secret. Not rattling your cage and let everybody know, here I am, I'm praying, I'm praying. No, it is doing it in secret. That's what God rewards. And then Matthew 6, 16 through 18 is fasting. But you're not fasting to be seen by others. You're fasting to give attention to your Savior. That's what we're doing it for. We want the Savior to receive the, the, the accolades and because it is his goodness that we're able to do these things. You see, the result of placing your treasure in heaven is found in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I, that's what I want, is for my heart to be there. You want your heart to be there. Friends, what do you desire? What do you want to tell you volumes about where you are with the Lord? You know, I do a lot of counseling around here, and, and sometimes in the counseling, I, I question where their heart is. They're focused on so many other things, earthly treasures, being right all the time, or of being understood, or of um, being recognized by others. What really matters to you? Matthew sixteen twenty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What if he gained the whole world? Everybody loves you and forfeits his soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What, what will it be that he gives so that he is recognized? I don't know if Putin's thinking in those terms, but I got to tell you, he's a pretty good picture of it. He's giving away his soul. Beloved, Jesus does not say that this world is unimportant or trivial. What Jesus is saying in these three very pivotal verses is that you cannot lose sight of the real prize. And that prize is not found here on this earth. Praise God. Fix your eyes on Jesus, not the things of this world. Hebrews 12.2, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's where we need to have our treasure. On the things above, not on the things of this earth. Colossians 2. 
Jesus is telling us that our inner being, our heart, made up desires of wishes, of inclinations, attractions, proclivities, and dreams. Frankly, our whole person will be exposed by what we treasure. Let me end with this or get bring you into a landing zone here. What occupies your thoughts in your daydreaming? What do you become anxious about? What are your standards for others? That'll tell you what you measure your worth by. What in life is something you cannot do without? This message of Jesus given in the Sermon on the Mount is a reflection of the condition of our souls. It reveals what is of central importance to the person. Most importantly, it reveals the constitution of the character of the individual. Last question. What is precious to you? I will uh, close in prayer because I pray that this message would be used in the hearts and the minds of those who God loves, who God wants to grow, who God wants to challenge. Father, as uh, we've preached this message here second time, I know it's not exactly the same one I preached the first time, but that's up to you, Lord. You, you didn't want that one published for whatever reason. Lord God, you are good. You're always good. I trust you in all things. I pray for these folks here that uh, will be listening to this, the folks of, of Anchored, that you would grow them to be just impenetrable, okay, with the things of this world, that, that the world cannot penetrate them, but the things of God would be acceptable and lovely to them and goodness to them and that you would grow them to be the people of God that you want them to be. I pray this in your name. Amen.